This episode is proudly sponsored by ShakeBay, Canada's easiest way to buy and earn Bitcoin in 10 minutes or less with no deposit or withdrawal fees. It's so easy, even the boomer can do it. Guys, I've personally been using ShakePay for several years and highly recommend them. Their mobile app makes it super easy to buy and sell Bitcoin. All you have to do is e-transfer directly to your ShakePay account and you're ready to go. So head over to shakepay.com or download the mobile app, use the referral code LOONYHOUR and get $30 of free Bitcoin when you sign up. ShakePay gives out free Bitcoin to every user every day just by shaking your phone. They call this the shaking sats feature. It's awesome. I highly encourage you to go check it out. ShakePay has also just launched one of Canada's only Bitcoin cashback prepaid credit cards, which gives users up to 2% Bitcoin cashback on every transaction. If you want to opt out, Canadian dollars and start earning rewards through Bitcoin, go check out ShakePay. Once again, guys, that's shakepay.com. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 47. As always, joined by the three amigos, we've got Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting. Do you have a, Rich, do you have a new shirt? Yeah, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say what it is, though. Is that a picture of you on your shirt? <laughs> it's a picture of me spilling beer on myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my so. God. This is not okay. for public consumption, this one. <laughs> you just ruined the intro. And we've got Keith Dicker with Ice Cap Asset Management. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Keith, I didn't, where's your uh, shirt of yourself? What? My shirt? This guy's wearing a shirt that has a picture of himself. Oh, yeah, I know. It's I love Rich's shirts. That just too. totally yeah. caught me off guard. I was not expecting that at all. But that's what uh, the Looney Hours is about, right? Like, you never know what's, what's going to happen when we get together and, and start talking. So you bet you got some fresh Patagucci from the, from the, from the missus. So that's, Very impressive. Uh, I wish I found it on the bike path for free, but we can't all be so fortunate. Um, but let's jump into this week's show. I guess we'll do a quick open up, as as always, on the sort of Canadian housing front, just briefly, and then we'll jump into some uh, some interesting comments from the Bank of Canada. We've got a, a, a loony hour bet, a Twinkie bet uh, for the upcoming BOC hike on September the 7th next week. So we'll be doing lots of coverage on that next week. Uh, we've got some GDP numbers out of Canada. We've got, you know, a whole bunch of chaos happening in Europe, more lockdowns in China. So we're going to get through to the whole gamut here. But uh, just to sort of start things open here is the Vancouver housing front where I am sort of front and center. Um, we should see home sales for the month down about 40% on a year over year basis. So again, another really weak month that will hit the uh, media headlines in the next couple of days. Uh, it's looking like the GTA Toronto there should hit another 20 year low in home sales for the month of August. Uh, anecdotally, we are seeing a, a slight uptick uh, in housing activity. I would say that it, you know, sales activity remains incredibly weak. Um, conditions continue to favor buyers. However, I think, the, the, the past sort of three months prior, I think we're completely illiquid. I think we're sort of slowly getting over that as people adapt to these higher rates, which are obviously becoming the norm, um, which we'll, we'll again get into in this week's show. But that's kind of what's happening on the housing front. So things are moderating. I, I've talked about this, on, I think, on the show before, which is my sort of base case is I think that the sort of flash crash that we went through is likely over, but I think we continue to tr you know trickle lower uh, for the rest of this year, but in a more sort of healthy and sustainable manner. Um, we also had some comments from the Bank of Canada, which Rich uh, <laughs> got into pretty aggressively uh, on Twitter there with the BOC. So uh, for those that weren't following along or aren't on Twitter at home, I'll read you guys the Bank of Canada's tweet and I'll have Rich chime in. So I don't know who took over the Bank of Canada's Twitter, but they must have hired like some like new fresh out of high school, uh, you know, social media person because the 
basically said, you asked us if we printed cash to finance the federal government. We didn't. Keep reading to learn how we supported the economy from the shock of the pandemic. And it goes into like one of those like Twitter threads. Um, and of course, they basically, well, I mean, Rich, you, you, you take the spotlight from here. I'll let you uh, deflect that one. Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't know we were going to start out so <laughs> right on the front foot there, but uh, that's obviously total BS to, to put it mildly. Um, but I think so a couple of things, just let's get very clear. Uh, number one, they didn't print cash. And I don't think anyone who understands that means that there was literally somebody in a room, you know, grinding the machine with, you know, pe- putting the ink on the little, those little metal plates that they then press down on paper. That's not what anyone who's been analyzing or been critical or even agreed, frankly, with the policy thinks. And for the Bank of Canada, technocrats that are unelected, and I'd say probably the most important technocratic job in Canada, for them to use that language is, in my view, A, quite misleading, and B sort of um, sort of tries to take the legs out of anyone who has valid criticism of that policy. So just to be clear, the Canadian, the Bank of Canada didn't print cash. What they did was they printed money. And so they increased the money supply. So let's just be clear. Um, all cash is money, but not all money is cash. There's different types of money supply. There's things called M0, M1, M2. I'm not going to get into that now or else Keith's going to make fun of me. But what I think is really, really important to note is something that we've discussed a lot before. And so just to reiterate, the Bank of Canada basically printed an incredible amount of money. So what does that mean? They created out of thin air keystrokes on a keyboard because that's how most money is these days. Um, they created an inc- from, from the beginning of the pandemic, so the end of, let's say, 2019, beginning of 2020, they created money. So they basically printed money. They put it into the reserves of the, into like a reserve account, a settlement account, whatever you want to call it. And they absorbed something like 90 to like 85 to 94%, depending on your thing, of, of all of the federal government bond issuance. So just to make those numbers clear, so from basically the end of 2019 to the end of 2021, the change in government debt was 407 billion Canadian dollars. Again, right or wrong, we're not making a judgment call on whether that was right or wrong. I'm just, let's just be clear about what the Bank of Canada did. And the change in the Bank of Canada's assets, so the holdings of on the Bank of Canada, the Bank of Canada has assets and the Bank of Canada has liabilities. So the increase in the Bank of Canada assets, which was specifically government bond holdings, went up by 356 billion Canadian dollars. So that's 87%. Now I've chosen those two arbitrary dates because like I said, they're arbitrary and they're convenient just to get our, wrap, our heads wrapped around. So the reason, and, and the, the point that they make is like, well, we bought it in the secondary market. So that's the other sort of, points like oh well what is the secondary market the you know there's the primary market which is the bank of so the canadian government saying we're issuing bonds so we're selling bonds and we need someone banks or keith or steve to come and buy those in the primary market and there's a secondary market which is once that first transaction is made then whoever bought that first tranche turns around and then sells it to a free secondary market resale market resale market exactly so but again (laughs) that's again an obfuscation a purposeful one which is again why i'm this thing gets me so hot and bothered it's a purposeful obfuscation if you're standing in front of an ice cream stand okay and the guy sells you a cone and you turn around and sell it to a child who's standing right next to you and you know that that is not a quote unquote secondary market i mean yes in legally, it might be a secondary market, which is why they did it like that. But let's make no mistake. All of these actions were coordinated with the five or six large banks in Canada. Everyone understood. Everyone was looking at each other slanty-eyed. We, we knew what's going on. They, you know, that's, you know, they knew exactly what was going on. And this idea that it was in the secondary market is a red herring. Um, don't take my word for it. The Bank of England and the Federal Reserve have lots of literature, as well as Yale, the Brookings Institute, 
Um, you can look at Ben Bernanke's commentary on this. He wrote about it long before he became the federal bank, sorry, for the Federal Reserve governor. Um, and so this is, so those two things are really important. One to, is the cash versus money. That is an obfuscation. And two, the secondary market uh, thing is an, another obfuscation. Um, they, the reason they did that, again, right or wrong, was to, because the bond market has seized in an environment where everyone's freaking out and pulling their liquidity from the market. And they did that, number one, to create liquidity, and number two, to, to the lower interest rates. Now, there's, you can, I'm not going to go over to the, the whole scope of quantitative easing today. That's not the point. The point is really to address that tweet the lie in my view that that what is that tweet um i would also like to give credit to all the pe wonderful people on twitter who beat me to the punch and wrote fantastic replies with charts with citations with some pithy comments sometimes some rude comments and who beat me to the punch and if you go and look at that um uh, that twitter thread don't take my word for it all there's some really fantastic re rebuttals to that um, the other thing that I thought was really funny about that tweet was the chart crime. So one of the things that they show in that, you know, chart crime is what, you know, we call in FinTwit when people sort of either take the take a chart, a data out of context, or maybe they screw with the x-axis and the y-axis to show something specific. And that's exactly what they did in that chart. Um, you know, they, they said that, the, you know, bank notes in circulation on the chart, it looks like they didn't, it doesn't, didn't go up. Well, that's because they included a different thing. But let me make no mistake, currency in circulation went up massively. It was a three nine 9% um, three-year compound annual growth rate. So you, you know basically a 30 or 40% increase in less than three years um, or just over three years or whatever. I mean, that's an incredible amount. Same thing with money supply, you know, an 8% two-year compound annual growth rate. These are enormous, enormous numbers. And then there's another way of, of thinking about it, another angle is to look at the current holdings um, of federal government debt on the central bank balance sheet. I know there's lots of stuff going on here, but, and right now it's at a total of 37%. And so what that means is the central bank of Canada owns 37%, um, sorry, um, yeah, that's right. So 37% of of the government bond holdings are on um, as a share of total is on the central bank government uh, balance sheet. Now, again, this wasn't, this is okay. I mean, in there's, this is why I don't want to get too much into quantitative easing today. You know, there are reasons why a central bank should and could and can and will hold government bonds on their balance sheet. It's part of interest rate policy. It's to provide liquidity. It's important in settling cross-bank transactions. There's a bunch of very valid reasons. And it's not even to say that what they did in on the outset of the pandemic is to be sort of, you know, completely dismissed. I mean, no one knew what was going on. And to react in that way, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say that it was maybe not the right move or the they should have done a little bit less or whatever. I'm not even going to make a call on that specifically. But that tweet at this stage in the game is, is basically almost an out and out lie. And I'm really proud of all the people who on Twitter who just went right after them and, and frankly did a fantastic job of rebutting that. And so you, if, you, if you look me up, you can see all the charts um, that I've put to support my views and my assertions on this. Um, again, don't take my word for it. Yale, Brookings Institute, you can look it on Wikipedia. Um, you can look on the Federal Reserve. And I would even suggest you look at the central banks of Canada's own literature on quantitative easing. Um, that basically refutes a lot of what they said in that. Um, so there's my rant on the central bank. Hopefully people understood that. Hopefully I did a good job. Um, yeah, I don't know, Steve or Keith, you have anything else? Boom. Get this guy a ventilator. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just... These I love are, it. They, they, you know, people wonder why institutions have lost a lot of credibility and why media outlets have lost credibility over the last few years. You know, CBC, without even ha asking anyone of consequence, parroted what the Central Bank of Canada wrote. Canadian press went and changed the language such that it made it even more confusing for individuals. They changed the word cash, which is literally coinage and bills. 
and they use the word money. So they made a mistake in their, you know, sort of rehashing or of sort of, you know, regurgitating of what the Bank of Canada said. Um, it, it, this is an important, this is probably one of the most important financial policy and monetary policy decisions since 2008 and probably of the last 70 whatever years. And you can't mess around. Um, it, it, that lowering of interest rates caused massive asset inflation. You could argue it pushed the Canadian bubble, uh, the Canadian housing market, which was already in frothy and bubble territory over the edge. Hey, don't call it that. <laughs> um, you know, it, you know, it, it's, again, I, I'm not even critical and let's just ignore the fact, I'm not even going to dance around whether or not it was right or wrong. Keith can get into that. Steve, you can get into that. But to, 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 to say now, to basically sort of retroactively to do this revisionist history to me is, is extremely disingenuous. And again, I'm really proud of all the people on Twitter, the other analysts and the other sort of, you know, um, Monday morning quarterbacks and, and armchair economists that went after it and did a really fantastic job sort of challenging the Bank of Canada with often using their own data and their own sources. So there you go. That's, that's my rant. Forgive me for getting excited, but I just... That's something I'm really passionate about and I've done a lot of work on. No, I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, important uh, topic is, you know, as Rich said, I, you know, what did the M2 money supply grow through what 25, 30% in Canada over the course of the pandemic. Right. I mean, so it's not really, <clears throat> shouldn't be a surprise to see, you know, uh, you know, asset values, obviously inflating uh, really just basically a, a currency debasement, which we've talked about quite a bit on this show. Uh, and now, you know, we're all paying, we're all paying the consequences for this now, right? I mean, the idea that, and I, I remember reading it on Twitter, right? Everyone's like, hey, you know what? The federal, like, let's, let's, let's just lock this thing down. Let's just hand people checks. And like the, the, the idea of the MMT crowd, right? The modern, modern monetary crowd that, you know, deficits don't matter and, you know, government can keep spending and all, you know what I mean? And so, and I think we're all now paying the consequences that, it turns out there was, in fact, no such thing as a free lunch. And, you know, we're paying for it through inflation. And now we're going to pay through it through higher interest rates and uh, debt servicing costs. And unfortunately, you know, the, the people that will bear the brunt of that are, are uh, you know, I think those with realistically lower incomes that, you know, they don't have the increase in salary to, to offset these higher, uh, you know, debt servicing payments and, you know, some small or medium sized, small businesses, mostly that, you know, don't have access to, to capital uh, to, to sort of get through these more difficult times coming ahead, because I think we are certainly tiptoeing closer to a recession. Keith, you kind of flagged on Twitter originally um, Canada's, Q what Q2 GDP numbers. I don't know if you want to have any commentary on that. Yeah, I want to go back. First of all, Rich, can you cross-reference your description of the, the change in monetary policy, the bank's balance sheet, with the diffusion index description? <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> the diffusion index is an important... <laughs> I love the diffusion Important index. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. So is this a new pickup line for you now? Oh, no. I did not QE or something. We'll go with Imagine that. walking into a bar, eh, with the, the diffusion index pickup. You got your own mug on the front of your T-shirt. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm going to be alone forever. <laughs> um, okay, so here's, you know, back to, uh, you know, the perspective from, from my desk. Um, get just use an analogy. This for the Bank of Canada, or for any central bank, you know the the holiest of the financial monetary institutions in the Western world, to go on to social media to start responding to critiques. It'd be the same as say the the, the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs every day hopping on Twitter or. What's, what's the one with the videos, the short videos? TikTok. TikTok. TikTok? Okay. You're really showing TikTok. your age. <laughs> yeah. I saw one the other day. It was funny. You should call it the uh, TikTok, Keith. The TikTok, yeah. Now the yeah. CCP is and... spying on you. Uh-oh. You didn't heard about that, right? But You know, it's like, a, okay, anyways, it's a CCP. They're all spying. But back to the but guys, again, like, you know, Rich did a very good job just trying to emphasize, you know, how unusual this is. It's extremely unusual. So, you know, we talk about now for a long time, 
that, you know, we always say it, it's the end of this long secular cycle for Keynesian economics. And it doesn't matter if you have the t-shirt or not, it, it's over. Like that, that game is over. But policymakers are trying to, you know, draw it out a little bit longer. And as soon as you get the policymakers, again, going on social media to try to defend their policy actions, Again, that tells me, wow, there's a whole lot of stress out there right now. And you know, again, so we'll, we'll jump over to this as well. Now we start talking about like GDP numbers and expectations and, and all that, all that stuff. But you know, we've been saying for a while now here at IceCap, the world has now been synchronized with market stress, or stress has been synchronized around the world. So it doesn't matter if it's the housing market, interest rate market, financial markets, you know, just social unrest markets, if you want to call it that, but it, everything has been synchronized, reconciled, no, no longer is there something moving to a different drum. And um, when that happens, that's when policymakers are really coming out to try to hold it all together. So uh, with the Bank of Canada, I'm sure they're now watching the loony hour. And, uh, you know, maybe if you really want to switch things up, maybe you should hire Rich to come work for you. I'm sure we're going to get canceled happy. first and foremost. That could happen. I'd be, I'd be happy to go work for the Bank of Canada. I think I, I think I could uh, make some valid contributions. Number Sell one, out. I'd say admit your mistake when you make it would be the one thing I would start by saying because God knows we all make mistakes. But anyway, sorry, Keith, carry on. You know, I think that's it. I think you know everyone knows the story of the central banks, and that that's what they're doing. So I think next we should talk about um, get into the Q. You didn't you skipped over Q two numbers, sir. I was just going to go into that. Well, let's mosey on here. Yeah, I, I like to mosey. <laughs> Speaking of mosey, I, I mean, that doesn't make sense, but, you know, I got in trouble this week. Uh-oh. I know. Uh-oh. What'd you do? So I, well, <laughs> I'm just being Keith, but uh, apparently one of Mrs. Icecap's co-workers listens to the Looney Hour. Uh -oh. And uh, yeah, I don't want to say his name, but it is Charles, by the way. <laughs> he, so Charles tells Mrs. Icecap, who I told the bike riding story. So a couple of nights ago, you know, Mrs. Icecap, you know, she comes home and says, hey, what's with you telling the story about like I left you behind and everything. So, uh, yeah, I got in some trouble. And the, the penalty, of course, I got a bike ride again this weekend. And Charles is like, that's my Patagucci hat. Uh, Good old Charles. We'll start using the word, the name Charles now to, you know, describe a lot of different things when we need to. But back to the um, the very slow response to the GDP number. It's not slow. So, guys, uh, you know, Canada came out with their GDP number this week for Q2. And the number was, it was just rounded, okay? It was 3%. That's an annualized number. That's not bad. Like, that's 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 pretty good. Um, however, in, in the investment world, you always have to look at which way is it trending and you have to understand it is a backward looking number. It's already happened. You know, it, it's clocked. Also, you know, what were, what was the market expecting the number to be? So again, the Canadian economy grew at 3%. The bank of Canada, they thought we would grow at 4%. And uh, all the sharp uh, analysts up there on Bay Street, um, they were expecting 4.4%. So again, so it's a huge underperformance by the Canadian economy. And if you get into the gritty numbers in between, like a lot of it is energy driven. And people say, hey, that's awesome for Canada, right? You know, energy is helping support, you know, the economy, all that stuff. However, the Canadian economy and driven you know, by energy exports and, and all that. It is good. You know, you don't want to throw it out by any means because it, it's, it's, it's an awesome contributor to growth as well as salaries and spending and, and all that stuff. However, it's, it's not going across into everyone's pockets these days because most people are not benefiting from the strong energy market. That's really isolated to people who are in that industry. Instead, everyone else, we're all getting the backside of it, you know, the sharp end of the stick. So, you know, we're paying more at the pump for, you know, our uh, oil prices are going up if you if you heat with oil and, and all that stuff. So, in, you, you know, in my view, this 3% number, um, you know, you, you want to pair it back even a little bit. And, and just one more thing with it. Um, 
when we look at what's going to happen in this current quarter, which is Q3, which ends now at the end of September, um, what we're seeing here at IceCap, we, we could be pretty close to zero with that number. I think maybe a half a point will be the highest number, but it, it's it's looking to be pretty weak already. And again, that falls into our expectation that you know growth is slowing everywhere. Um, and then you know it's going to have effects on the bond market, credit spreads, and all that. But the single biggest impact it's not having is on the central bankers. So we'll we'll come back to that as well as well. But the central bankers right now, so the the Canadians to the Bank of Canada and then their Twitter department and then the Federal Reserve and Bank of England, even, even the Europeans, you know, they're all gung-ho at raising rates. You know, they, they ain't going to stop. And that's having a big impact on financial markets. Yeah. And, and a couple of things to the GDP. Yeah. So when you're looking at GDP, there's consumption there. It's made up of obviously investment. There's net exports. And there's also a a, an item called inventories. And often people may not look at the inventory, but one of the things that was, I think, uh, one of the really bad takeaways from this GDP print was the massive increase in inventories. And the reason that's, in this case, why is a good data point or a strong data point a bad thing for the overall number is because those inventories basically fluctuate. And obviously, when you you build up your inventory one quarter, you might draw down on your inventory the next quarter, et cetera, et cetera. And so you... Um, and so that one of the big causes for the, let's say positive print as Keith laid it out, laid out, which was, was the increase in inventory, which we may not get next uh, quarter. So just keep an eye on that bit, which was the other thing. And the other thing I thought was really important, uh, which we don't discuss at all enough really is the, what matters is not just GDP growth in aggregate, but GDP growth per capita. So per capita is when you divide it by the number of people in your economy. Um, and so, you know, you could say, well, you know, Q4 2019 was the peak in real GDP. And we're, we've gone way past that, that peak in real GDP um, in aggregate. So that includes sort of everybody in Canada, plus the GDP that each of those people, persons or whatever uh, contributes. But the, the problem is the per capita GDP remains, if I'm not mistaken, either at or just below its its peak. And I think that that's so, you know, a lot of these, this increase in GDP has been driven by the massive amount of immigration to this country. Again, I'm not making a comment on whether that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's just the reality. And so you have, you know, and then, so that's an sort of important point to factor in, you know, what matters really ultimately is the growth and productivity of each individual in that economy. Or another way of saying that is the per capita growth in GDP for each person in an in, in economy. And then I'm going to pass it back to you, Steve, so which what, is to me the standouts. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, what is GDP per capita right now? I don't know if you have a chart on oh, it. Oh, you got I know, me. I know. I know. It, did, I know it number. peaked. I know it peaked in 2017. I think it's been basically rolling over since then. Which no, no, it hasn't rolled over. It it it, it fell with the the pandemic, and then it's been trying, and it has been you know obviously bounced back. Um, I don't know the exact number because for me, real GDP, those numbers are always rebased to a specific year. I think in Canada, we use 2012 in the UK and the US, they use 2015 dollars. To me, I, I always rebase it. Um, and then that to me is what matters is the growth rather than the actual n number per se. So forgive me for you caught me. I, I don't know the exact number for that. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, so I guess our, sta our standard of living isn't getting... Yeah, exactly. That's, that's another way of, that's a really good way of putting it too, which is GDP per capita is, is another way of saying is the standard of living or, and, or another way of saying that is the productivity of each individual. And that ultimately is what should matter to people. Um, another way of saying it is, you know, if your economy is one person and your productivity doesn't change, but then you add two people, then in theory, your GDP would have gone up by a lot. But your individual, your individual um, state lot in life, your you know individual where you are as a person not, might not have increased, and so that's just an important number to keep, and just an important way to think about it and keep that in mind when you're looking at these figures. Yeah. The so actually, I want to say, oh, sorry, okay, okay, you go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say the other thing, Steve. This is something you should know. The standouts on the negative side with that number. So whenever the Bank of Canada publishes this data, or the Stats Canada publishes this data, they have all the different industries. 
you know, accommodation, finance, construction, whatever. And the three biggest negatives were finance and insurance, construction, and real estate and leasing, which I thought you might want to be, might want to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 20, 20 year lows. And like I said, near two largest housing markets. So that really should not come as a surprise. Um, that I think that's going to trickle through the rest of it. But um, just to your point, yeah. So permanent resident uh, admissions in Canada. Uh, so January through the end of June, uh, we're actually at an all-time high, uh, just shy, just just north of about two hundred twenty-five thousand people uh, admitted um, between January and June. Um, so that's that's a recent high. So yeah, printing printing people right now. Um, so before we, you know, we don't want to make the whole show about boring old Canada, but uh, maybe let's touch quickly, Keith, to, to sort of end the Canadian segment here is on uh, the Bank of Canada's rate hike coming up here on September the 7th. So we'll have full coverage on that next week. But of course, that does bring to us our most recent Twinkie bet on the line. So I guess I'll start this thing off first. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go kind of, uh, this is boring. I'm going to go with the market. I'm going to go 75 basis points. I still think it's a one and done. Um, one more here, one big fat one in September. And I think they're on pause from there. Uh, doesn't mean they're cutting anytime soon, but I think they're on pause after this. Cause if you go 75, that brings you to 3% on your overnight rate, which again, start of the year, I, I don't think a lot of people will have that in their, in their cue cards. Um, so I'll go 75 basis points for the Twinkie bet. Let me write that down. Keith. Right. Uh, so right now they're at two and a half, 75, you're bringing it to three and a quarter. Are they, sorry, are they at two and a half? Jeez, man. I'm, I'm, that's why you guys shouldn't be listening to my, my bets or my forecast. That's, <laughs> Steve flips houses. He doesn't. Yeah. Just making right? things up as I go along here. <laughs> He's just making it up. Uh, I think that's what a lot of these. Sorry, they've are. raised 225 basis points thus far. So there. Yeah, you yeah, go. yeah. That, that sounds good. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty bored. I'm very excited the way markets are moving, but um, just for uh, to make it, uh, you know, like, you know, when you have a horse race, you know, no one would ever watch a horse race if there's no one betting on it. Right. Right. Not, heads are nodding in agreement. <laughs> I don't watch horse races, so even if I'm even if people except for uh, ex- except for Rich's picture on his shirt that was just no, still. Uh, I'm embarrassed. Yeah, <laughs> dun dun dun. Uh, so I'm gonna go. I think guys, you know what? They're gonna go 100. I'm gonna nice. Like, I was hoping I like, someone was gonna go for that. Yeah, I like Twinkies um, in a little bit, and um, but let's. I think the same with the Fed. And because we'll talk about Jackson Hole meeting last week. So I think it's, it's very important. We go through that, Uh, but put me down for a hundred. There you go. Boom. Okay. Put me down for 50. I think that they're going to (laughs) all the intestinal fortitude that they have found. (laughs) They will have now lost (laughs) because the markets by then will be down. And the housing, as you've described it, Steve is starting to puke a little bit. Um, We've had a couple of bad employment numbers in Canada, a couple of bad employment numbers month on month now um let's say they'll chicken out and do 50 there you go i think i think you're uh, you forgot about one key factor now that is going into their rate decision tell me it, it's the social media reaction uh, from, yes, rich, from rich right. diaz so yeah they they could <laughs> do 100 guys i want to they reiterate could. there was lots of really smart people out there who beat me to the punch so i would recommend you go look that up and and, and, and okay so, let's investigate. hold on so whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, just out of curiosity, are you guys, what, do you have a, a rough guess forecast? What are the, what, what the end of the year at? So Keith, you're like, Hey, they're going to go hundred at this meeting. Are you in the view of hundred and done? Or are you the view it's a hundred and then maybe it's 25 at, you know, the next two meetings to finish up the year. If there's nobody's no... holding this to you, by the way, because the data is obviously going to change over the coming months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure thing. Uh, if there's no crisis along the way, they'll get it to four. I think that's what they'll get wow. it to. Okay. If there is a crisis, and they'll be done after next week, maybe. So, crisis watch. There she was, gone. <laughs> Rich. Um. Again, I have to stick with my. <laughs> Stick with my premise, which is that they'll they'll chicken out and say I'll probably get to three three and a quarter before they before they chicken out and, and change 
and so yeah three and a quarter and done would be my my guess if i have to make one i don't like forecasts by the way to qualify (laughs) well it's that old saying right when the data changes i change my mind yeah what do you do sir so i mean i think that's kane that's kane's by the way (laughs) oh there you go where's your kane shirt buddy (laughs) steve what what do you think where do you think they'll be at your end well, I mean, I literally just said 75 and done. So um, what does that take us to 325? So that's basically on par with with Rich, just in different increments. Yeah. That's, so ladies and gentlemen, that brings you to three on the Steve Soretsky math chart. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. But hey, I mean, like, if they get 75 beeps in here um, for Canada's most important asset, housing, that takes your variable rate to... 5.2 roughly uh and so you know you're getting stress tested at 7.2 and your fix is already at 5.2 so either way your stress test was north of seven percent and if those rates actually hold for a period of time let's say six to eight months i think that's just a more downwards pressure on housing so do you so think a housing market sorry keith just quickly do you think a housing yeah. market can survive a that those numbers, Steve, like uh, given where debt to GDP is given or household debt to GDP is given where debt, uh, debt servicing ratios are. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm well, I mean, lower for sure. I mean, like uh, the problem is, is like, you know, we've already seen, like I can show you examples of like, yes, these pockets were overly inflated, but like there's plenty of like suburban markets in like greater Vancouver and Toronto that are down 25 to 30%. Like, it's not the most common, but like these are huge moves for a very illiquid yeah. asset. They're like it's not a stock market where you get like insane volatility. So for housing to move, let's say even fifteen percent in one single year, that's a massive move. You know, if you extrapolate, you get ten percent next year. Twenty five percent correction, you know, wipes out a lot of bank equity because you know if you think about it, most let's say most lenders are loaning you know eighty percent loan to value. All of a sudden, there's no equity in the property, right? So. I think you run into situations where it becomes a bigger problem. I think actually down the road when people go to try to refinance and right. there's not enough equity or they try to refinance, but they got to, they have to qualify at 7% because that's where the stress test is at. Or you get these B lenders that, you know, any B lender, home capital, equitable group, et cetera. These are typically one to two year terms. And so, you know, Hey, you, you took a home capital group loan last year at 4%. Now you got to renew it, you know, six, that's going to yes. hurt. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's really going to be where the pain is. And, and so it's, it's kind of a slow moving process. Okay. But next, Keith, yeah. do you want to, do you want to move, you want to move to the next sort of central bank, the economic fantasy land in, in Europe? No, I'm not finished with this other economic thing. <laughs> <Okay. bank. laughs> uh, I think it's, it's extremely important for everyone. We need to reset here. Because remember, when it comes to what are the central banks going to do and all that stuff, it's not what we think they should do. It's what are they telling us they're going to do. Good point. And so up until last week, the markets were telling the central banks what they should do. And they're talking about this pivot. You know, they call it the Powell pivot. You know, Powell was the head of the Fed and Powell and pivot are two Ps. So it's it makes <laughs> sounds nicer and everything. Uh, but what the pivot means is that the market and media and even if you know a few lads on Twitter and stuff, they're all saying central banks might do one more rate hike and then they're done or they won't raise as aggressively as they were saying. And they had all the great reasons for it. You know, the economy is definitely slowing. So every time there was soft economic data coming out, they say, see, that gives you more reason why they won't be raising rates. Or if the inflation data came out, no matter which market was in, People would interpret it that, see, it's not growing as fast as it was before. And the central bankers, you know, they're watching all this stuff and they're on Twitter, of course, now. So they're they're very, seems like they have thin skin for some reason. By the way, if you ever want to get into the investment world, you better have thick skin. Oh, buddy boy, you're going to need it at some point. Um, But so they had the Jackson Hole meeting. So that's hosted by the the Kansas City Fed down down there in in the U.S. And... um, it's in a place called Jackson Hole, a really nice, nice place. Go there if you want to. And Powell was the opening speaker. So it takes place on, they gather Thursday night for some food and drinks. 
and then they have all the speeches on Friday, and then the important guys speak on Friday, and then the unimportant guys speak on Saturday. And then if you're the Bank of Canada, you're not invited to speak at all. So you're just there as an attendee. So, uh, but anyway, back to, you know, the fantasy land. So what happened here? Powell came out Friday morning and, uh, you know, the whole financial world, we're all sitting there saying, come on, this is, this is crazy. What is he going to do? And uh, his speech was, was probably eight minutes. I don't think it was, it, it could have been seven or 12. Like it was very short. And uh, these are my words and not his. And he's basically said, listen, we are going to keep raising rates until we crush inflation. And we might even raise them longer than we should be to crush inflation. And then he gave out a couple of examples where they've done it in the past and it worked. And another example where they didn't do it and it, and it didn't work. And that was it. Then he just dropped the mic and you know went off stage. And uh, ever since then, you know, you know, we talked before about, you know, was this a bear market rally or the beginning of something you know, better and, and more beautiful and everything with markets? I want to go back to this as well. But uh, markets, instead of the central banks doing a pivot, markets did a pivot on, on Friday. I just thought of that, actually. It sounds pretty cool. Was but it? the yeah, I think it in my I I do a lot of cool things, guys. You know, right, Charles? Charles. And um, but it's it's pretty big now that you have the Fed saying we're going all in. The ECB have come out and it's gonna be like at a party, right? And when no one everyone's afraid to speak up first, and the cool kid says something, and then all the other kids say, Yeah, yeah, me too. I want to do that too. So now the ECB, they're coming out and like supposedly they're gonna have a jumbo rate hike. And uh, that's why I said I think the Canadians can even do 100. But everyone is now saying we're now going to hike rates aggressively, except you know, which, you know, which central bank said they're not going to do it? Japan? Yeah. Japan. Yeah. Japan. I didn't he actually said, nope. know. But whenever, whenever you have to guess who's going to be the, the most dovish central bank, always guess Japan. <laughs> and they rhymed as well. And they said, Japan said, uh, Bank of Japan said, no way, man. Did they? No, they didn't say that. No, they didn't say that. <laughs> okay, do you get it? Japan, man. No, no. Oh, no. Nice. Another mess. <laughs> Another mess. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so in hindsight, there was no pivot. Uh, it turns out it was, in fact, confirmed a bear market rally. Uh, the, the boomer did call it. So, yeah. Kudos to, to Keith. You got that one. Can I add some context on as to why I think the Fed is more aggressive than I think the markets wanted to or wanted rather? Um, I think that just a couple of things quickly, which is I think it's the labor market, which is what I would say. So, you know, I think good news is now bad news. And finance, you always have these silly sayings that everybody is, you know, things like bear market rally or the Fed put. And in this case, good news is bad news. And what does that mean? Well, you know, over the last little while, you just had, you know, you know, jolts, which is job opening. What is it? I always forget. Job openings. <laughs> Anyways, that, damn it. I always forget. The jolts is basically, you know, how many job openings you have. Um, it's a survey for that. And then there's consumer confidence. There's um, it, the employment cost index. That continues to surge. Wage growth is really high. Um, low-skilled laborers are now getting better wage growth than high-skilled laborers. The um, you know, like corp, you know, you have all of these labor market indicators that continue to grind higher. Now you could say, Rich, they're lagging, fine, be that as it may. You know, the Fed, I think Powell is hawkish because he has sort of this cover from the labor market. And so that's why I say, you know, good news is bad news. And that's what we've sort of gotten. And I think that that's, that sort of gives this, and that's why it, I think that that's part of the reason why they remain they feel that they can remain hawkish and then they can raise rates as much as they can. Because I think if, if the opposite was true, I think if the, the labor market was weak or um, getting weaker, I think, you know, I, I would challenge that and say that they would, uh, they would pivot. But I think that that's, that's my view on it. I don't know if. if yeah, but we've, a... we've chatted about it on the show, right. Which is how much of this like labor situation is, is now structural in the fact that, we have a you know demographic which is now retiring or has been retiring. The the, the boomers are leaving the workforce and and particularly so during the pandemic. Did someone say boomer? Str- Did someone say boomer? Except for you, yeah, you're never retiring, buddy. Um, 
you know, how many, uh, that it is structural now. There's just not enough people in the, uh, in the labor force to, and that's obviously where I think like now the labor force employees have this bargaining power, right. Which is, I mean, we're seeing, I mean, I just keep hearing all these like anecdotal stories of like people here in BC that are going through these contract negotiations. Like that's funny. We actually have like the BC government. So the BC liquor store, the government owned liquor store all around the province here, like all their employees are like, uh, are on strike now. So there's like no booze at the liquor store. So I'm like t- tapping out over here. Um, again, cause they want to raise. And it's like, these guys are already getting paid like 28 bucks to put your, your wine in, in the bag, uh, and to stock shelves. But, uh, again, it's, uh, it seems pervasive that everybody's all these labor unions are coming out and renegotiating higher and higher wages to offset the cost of living. And that cat is out of the bag, I think. Well, I'll never, I'll never criticize anybody who wants their money or can get their money. If they can extract it from their employee, go for it. Um, but yeah, I think your point about the labor shortages is right. We've talked about age dependency ratio. So that's a number of people who are young and old versus your working prime, um, sort of in the middle. Um, and that number continues to go up, um, which means there's fewer and fewer um, working age people relative to the rest. So that's like, that's contributes to the labor shortage. There's the skills mismatch, which we've <laughs> danced around before with hobby degrees versus um, the, the significant uh, labor shortages in key and more productive um, jobs. And then, I mean, in the US particularly, there's just been a lack of immigration, which you don't have in Canada. But I, th- I just think, but the real point is what Keith's saying, which is just the Fed is hawkish that it, and will and has and will be continued to raise rates until they break the back of inflation or crisis or crisis, excuse me. And then especially with the cover of this higher wage growth. We're on crisis watch, Keith, where's it coming? (laughs) Where is it? When you you go over there next week, you can tell us. us As long as I get out of there uh, on time. So one thing as well, I think, again, uh, like we're always like big picture and, and sometimes our picture is so big, it's just, you know, stupid. But I think stupid works a lot of times. With central banks raising rates, they're just simply treating the, the symptom. And, and the, so inflation going higher is a symptom of other bad policy mistakes that we've talked about quite a bit. And uh, again, it's irrelevant whether you agree or disagree with it. But, you know, in, in our view, and I'm sure you guys might agree with most of this as well. But the main contributors to inflation right now around the world, it was the policy response because of the COVID pandemic. It's the policy responses around climate change. It's also the policy responses on the fiscal side. So what what are governments spending? And then as well, of course, is the policy responses from central banks, you know, by cutting rates and and QE and and all that. So, uh, and so for the central banks, I don't know if they actually believe it or not. I've met some of them and I think some of them, they actually believe it, it is the case. I would like to think others are smart enough to believe that, hey, they're only doing this because they're being forced to these days because of the political side. But with central banks raising rates, like that doesn't fix the global supply chains. Uh, it, it doesn't fix now this long-term infrastructure crisis in, in the energy markets that we have around the world. And it, if it's also making it even more difficult now for governments to even borrow more if they want to. So um, it, again, that will create, it is creating stress in the system. And uh, I know that sounds, you know, negative, but it's, it's positive for financial markets. And, you know, we continue to think that there are some great opportunities there. And uh, like, for example, so right now it's September the 1st, which is a Thursday. Bingo. And um, so right now, for example, the, I think the average balance fund in Canada, you know, they're probably down 10 to 15%, you know, for the year. That, that's where they are. And they have, what, four months left in the year to try to make that back up. And I, I don't know how they're going to do it. It's, it's going to be difficult. Like for us right now, we're probably minus 1%. So we got like four months left. And no, I'm optimistic we'll, we'll get it up. But it's been a really grinding year 
for investors everywhere and same with advisors and portfolio managers and everything. And they're all trying to, you know, put these clues together to how to, you know, restructure the portfolio. And because most of them are only, you know, they're in a the two horse race. It's all they're using stocks and bonds. Um, again, it, it's going to be a tough grind coming up as the year goes on. So, uh, hey, we, there's four months left. And so if you can, you know, see the path where we're going again, you know, you, you have great opportunity here. But if you're just riding beta the whole time, you know, I, I think equities can come off a, a bit more here um, and then maybe end the year, you know, with, with a bit of a flurry coming up, which is good. You know, it's a good opportunity if you can see it. But that's what's been so fun about, I mean, fun, fun's maybe the wrong word. That's what's been so fascinating about the last sort of, I don't know, year or so is that, you know, we've had a structural decrease in the cost of capital, real rates going to, you know, 20, 30 year lows, and then and everything and all assets being inflated as a result. And now we are having a structural increase in real rates and interest rates and all of the assets that were inflated housing bonds and stocks are sort of having that air pulled out of them remember you know we, we, we've discussed the formula before right it's like e divided by r equals v right and and you have and and you have a situation where earnings are basically flat and your r is going up which means your value um is just being tranced and, and so it's just, it, to me, we're, we're seeing all sort of assets basically under the pressure of those higher interest rates. Um, and whether it's because of central banks chasing this inflation dragon, whether it's because of, um, you know, um, the labor market shortages or wage growth or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating year where both bonds and stocks and maybe even housing will all be negative year to date by the time we get to December. Um, especially at the index level. And so I just, that's, I think that that's probably a, that's a rare bird. And I, and I would wonder, I would actually posit that if interest rates continue on their path for next year, you might even get two years in a row of very disappointing numbers across the asset space. Um, I don't know. We'll see. How many, well, year. yeah, that's a good question. Maybe, maybe that helps fix some of your labor mismatch. You know, do you get some of these boomers coming back into the labor force going, Hey, you know, I was extrapolating 10% a year in my, my portfolio or 8% or whatever they have. And, uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm down 10 last year. I'm down another eight this year. And I don't think I'm going to have enough to get me through retirement. So maybe it's, maybe it's back in, maybe it's back to the, you know, being a Walmart greeter. Um, but I think that would certainly, you would imagine that would pull at least some, some people back into the workforce. And maybe good- is that, is that maybe what the central banks ultimately kind of maybe want? No, I don't. I don't think they go that far with it. But I do believe that they know the only way that they're really going to, you know, stop inflation right now is to get a very hard stop on the demand side. And of course, a hard stop means a hard landing. Whereas right now the markets are saying, "Hey, it's a soft landing." So you have to. So you know, you're going from you know, a pretty good slowdown to a, you know, a pretty hard slowdown. And again, you go back to what Powell said last week in uh, Wyoming. Um, hey, what do they have in Wyoming? It's the Kansas City Fed. That makes no sense. Oh, I don't know. I know they have good skiing there. <laughs> <laughs> Friends of mine have a place in, in Jackson Hole. They bought it uh, maybe about 20 years ago. Oh, and, very posh. Uh, yeah, well, you know, back then it, it wasn't that big. And uh, it's like, wow, do you realize what happens there every year? And these guys are not in you know, the investment world. And they're like, no idea. <laughs> I said, keep it that way. You know, you might enjoy it a bit more. But um, I don't remember where it's going. Do you know what else is in uh, Wyoming? The Devil's Tower. You know what the, Do you remember the uh, close encounters of the first kind? Remember Richard Dreyfus was carving his mashed potatoes with a fork. Oh, no, this is nice. way before the internet. <laughs> There's no Jesus. way we <laughs> Oh, man, you guys are missing Another, out. Just some... really showing your age today. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Speaking of which, cool by the way, everyone, Keith Keith is uh, back in the gym, apparently. So if you see him, if you see him at the next Looney Hour event in Toronto, popping out of his shirt. Yeah. Oh, hey, I almost forgot. Uh, for everyone listening... Thursday next, which is 
the 8th, right? September the 8th. If anyone in right. the Anyone in the Halifax area wants to get together for a, for a pint or, or anything. And yes, Charles, you can come as well if you want. Um, just send me an, an email, reach out to me. But next Thursday here in the Halifax area. Um, that's it. I got in your house? Else. No, no, no. We'll go to the court of the Bear Garden. That, that's where we'll go. He doesn't invite anyone to his house. I've never even been invited. Um, I've been invited. It was great. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. There you go. Um, I think what you were discussing, Keith, was like just in general, I, and something we've just we've touched on briefly, which is the shift from labor to capital. And I think that the you know the rise in interest rates sort of pushes that along. And that I mean that's that's a theme that I think will sort of you know manifest itself over the next five or ten years. And and what does that mean? Well, I mean there's obviously GDP. There's the pie. And then there's how you split the pie. It's like capital owners, equity, that thing, that chunk. And then there's the labor market, which is, you know, employee compensation, wages, benefit. And for the last two decades, basically, you've had the jaws, if you know the chart, which I promised to show this time. I always say that, but I always forget. Um, the jaws have been opening and, you know, labor is getting less and less of that, that GDP pie. Um, and I think, you know, this is, this is a theme that I've been on for the last five or 10 years, to be honest, you and have been wrong, but I think finally, I think that broken clock will be right in the sense that those jaws are starting to close the other way. And you're getting, whether it's politically, whether it's interest rates, whether it's labor market uh, shortages, um, I think you're finally starting to get a situation where labor is growing uh, its share of the pie for the first time in like, let's say 20 odd years and capital is getting less and less of the pie. Um, and so that's, that's a really difficult environment for investors and investing. Um, you know, it's, it's not about beta, as Keith has described. It's very much going to be about alpha. Where can you suss out which companies, you know, have a better mousetrap, you know, which, um, which companies have been underinvested in energy and can sort of exploit and maintain their margins. Um, and I think it's a very, very challenging environment. Um, you know, for the last 20 years, you've been able to just ride a bull market in bonds. You've been able to ride a bull market in equity um, as the cost of capital got pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. Um, and maybe we're entering a situation where as the, co the cost of capital structurally goes higher for the first time in, I don't know, 20 or 30 years, that all of these sort of this easy money related to, again, that formula I discussed earlier, which is E divided by R equals V, all that easy money, that delta in V is basically being ironed out. And I, and I just, it's, it's going to be really, really interesting as baby boomers start to draw down on their capital, um, as the labor shortages manifest themselves because the age of dependency ratio. Um, and like I said, I'll, as all this easy money sort of dissipates and, and it's going to be a really difficult environment to invest i think yeah i think that's uh one of my favorite writers there carol sokolov of 13 d's has been right about that exact thing for a couple of years now which is you know the view that um the, the you know the bargaining power so to speak is actually going to go back to to the laborer uh to the workforce and uh, that yeah could impact you know corporate earnings basically or you know it's sort of ends this sort of two decades of hyper financialization um of the economy really so but yeah i mean uh, yeah i think it's one of those ones just to sort of summarize here i think there's a lot of moving pieces i mean i think we started the show at the right time because it's just been it's been so choppy for the last you know 12 months right i mean the outlook is so uncertain and anyone that has their their finger on it and saying this is exactly what's going to happen i think is is full of it um there's i think there's a lot of brilliant arguments on both sides of the coin right now and i think even the central banks i think we can all agree are 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 running an experiment right now um they're they don't even i don't think they even really know what they're going to do and how they're going to handle like the incoming data uh that is is going to going to happen so hopefully uh you know this the loony hour continues to be you know some light and some guidance, uh, you know, to help you, you know, navigate these, these turbulent times. And as always, we appreciate your guys' support, uh, help us beat arrive can 
help us beat arrive can please leave us a five-star review on spotify apple Podcasts, etc etc uh and as always share this with at least one friend or family member and we'll see you next week post boc rate hike see you next week